0: Welcome, this is David Barris, president of the American Association of Bank Directors. Today, we have as our guest, Dave Skanderson to discuss disparate impact. This subject is of particular significance given the advent of the new civil rights movement. Dr. Skanderson is a vice president of Charles River Associates, where he specializes in financial institution analyses For regulatory and litigation matters. He is focused especially on issues relating to consumer credit underwriting, pricing, marketing, and servicing, with a specialization in fair lending and non-discrimination matters. He does extensive testing of automated decision systems and credit scoring models for disparate impact risk, including machine learning and artificial intelligence models. He has served as an expert in mortgage-related litigation matters on topics related to underwriting practices, loan servicing, loan modifications, and the economics of consumer mortgage product choices. Let me know if you have any questions by contacting me at dbarris at aabd.org. All right, let's call Dave.
1: Welcome, Dave. Hello, David. Today's subject is disparate impact, what it means to your bank's fair lending compliance efforts, and what a bank and board should do about it. So, Dave, thank you for joining us today. And first question for you is, what is disparate impact? Well,
2: um, disparate impact is basically a legal theory of discrimination. There are different ways of approaching the discrimination problem. And disparate impact is intended to get at indirect or inadvertent forms of discrimination, basically unintentional discrimination for the most part. Uh, It generally refers to a situation where you have some seemingly neutral criterion, like a credit criteria for making underwriting decisions, that tends to have a disproportionate adverse effect on the basis of some prohibited factor like race or ethnicity or sex or age or one of the other factors that are called out in the Equal Credit Opportunity Act or the Fair Housing Act, um, as well as in the non-discrimination laws of a number of states. Um, Basically, uh, you know, you can think about the contrast between disparate treatment and disparate impact. Disparate treatment is what we would think of traditionally as intentional discrimination. Um, Disparate impact doesn't require any notion of intent. It really looks at outcomes. So is there actually, in effect, a difference in outcomes that's associated with a prohibited factor like race, ethnicity, or sex? um and is that adverse to some group um so it's it's really a way of getting a, getting at a different kind of
1: discrimination concept dave uh, why is that important and when is it illegal when is disparate impact illegal and when is it not
2: yeah that's that's an important distinction to think about so um A lot of times folks talk about the concepts fairly loosely, but a disparate impact is not necessarily illegal. Um, The key distinction is really whether the factor that's causing the disparate impact is something that has a legitimate non-discriminatory business justification. So let's take an example to make this concrete. So uh, most people are familiar with the commonly used FICO credit scores uh, that are produced by credit bureaus or the Vantage scores, things like that. They're widely used in consumer credit decisions um, as well as some small business decisions. Uh, it's pretty well known that FICO scores are not uh, evenly distributed uh, based on things like race and ethnicity. In fact, there are substantial differences in average FICO credit scores based on race and ethnicity. So as a result, if a bank is using a FICO score in a credit decision, what's going to tend to result is higher rates of denial for minority borrowers as well as higher average pricing for minority borrowers, particularly African-Americans and and also Hispanics compared to non-Hispanic white borrowers. So that's an example of a a disparate impact, a, a difference in the effect of a credit policy. But that's not generally considered to be an illegal disparate impact in that case. So FICO scores are based on various kinds of objective credit history information that comes from credit bureaus Uh, neutral variables that are well-recognized to be um, highly predictive of credit risk and credit performance, uh, regardless of the race, ethnicity, or sex or age of the consumer. As a result, the scores have a strong justification for use in credit decisions, and they're not considered to have an illegal disparate impact. So where where the risk of an illegal disparate impact comes in is where we have some seemingly neutral credit policy that is not supported by a clear and demonstrable business justification or uh, where there's some other way to achieve the same business objective, uh, like minimizing credit risk, with a less disparate or less discriminatory effect. Let me give you another example. Um, Suppose that uh, our bank is issuing credit cards and we decide we're going to have a policy that says nobody who has income less than $50,000 a year will get approved for a credit card. Now, That kind of policy is likely to have a disparate effect. In particular, it's likely to uh, result in a higher rate of denials for minority borrowers and probably also for female borrowers. Um but that policy is probably unlikely to be justifiable from a business perspective because there are gonna be lots of folks with income less than fifty thousand who are perfectly credit worthy um and would be uh, should be eligible for credit, although, you know, maybe they would uh, merit lower credit limits than people with higher income, uh, but having a blanket policy uh based on a high income threshold would probably not be uh permissible on a on a disparate impact uh, basis. Uh, some other examples things that uh, that i've seen come up in my work and that regulators have talked about in the past um, are things like specific geographic locations so the neighborhood or the zip code that a consumer lives in. Uh, In many areas of the country, that would tend to correlate with uh, race or ethnicity. Um, Another factor would be part-time employment status. Um, So historically, um, uh, female uh, consumers uh, tend to be uh, more likely to be employed part-time, maybe more so in the past than the present day. Uh, and you would probably see more more uh, prevalence of part-time employment among some minority ethnic groups. Um, and it'd be hard to justify that because somebody who's employed part-time may very well have sufficient income and sufficiently stable income to be creditworthy. So that's another factor that would probably have a challenge from a disparate impact discrimination perspective. Um I mentioned you know high minimum income level, another thing that's come up is a high minimum loan amount, so you know let's say we're we're not going to make a mortgage loan um that is less than a hundred thousand dollars you you would probably run into the same kind of situation um with respect to discrimination based on race. Other things are for example education levels um those are used in in some kinds of lending and are fairly controversial um so th- those are just some some examples of things that that have come up in the past, and um, because of their correlations with race, ethnicity, sex or age um, and uh, perhaps only loose associations with business uh necessities or business objectives um, are probably risky from a disparate impact standpoint
1: dave if if your bank does not know whether it's lending has a disparate impact on protected classes, and how does it go about finding out and documenting it?
2: Yeah, so um, I think the, uh, the the federal bank regulator's perspective on this question is that a bank should know, and a bank should have ways of finding out. Um, basically, this comes down to what the regulators refer to as the bank's compliance management system, Um so federal examiners, uh, when they come in to do a compliance examination, particularly a fair lending compliance examination, are going to inquire about the bank's compliance management system and, and whether it is sufficient for identifying potential fair lending risks and resolving them. Um, bank regulators lay out in some uh, intricate detail what they're looking for in publicly available examination procedures, so it's it's not a secret anyone Uh, and a bank can uh, discover that information. Um, Basically, what it requires is that a bank have knowledgeable compliance and legal personnel who can review all the bank's policies, all of the lending criteria, all the decision strategies and marketing strategies with an eye towards identifying whether there's anything in there that might have a disparate effect and then uh, to the extent that there are any things found that uh, might have a disparate effect, investigating whether they are supported by sufficient business justification that can be proven either uh, statistically or through other kinds of analysis like financial analysis. Um, It includes uh, going through and identifying all of the criteria that are used in underwriting and pricing, for example. Uh, it includes looking at any, uh, any automated uh, decision systems or credit scoring models and uh, looking at what variables, what inputs go into those systems. Um, increasingly these days, um, different sorts of lenders, uh, both in the bank world and in the so-called financial technology or fintech world, are tapping into so-called alternative data, uh, by which I mean uh, data sources that are outside of the traditional credit bureau history information and things like debt ratios and leverage ratios, um, things that may not have a perfectly clear relationship to things like credit risk, um, and in some cases, which might be correlated with uh, prohibited demographic characteristics. So it's an exercise of going through and understanding whether there are potentially questionable criteria uh, within the bank's uh, credit operations, specifically consumer and small business credit uh, that require further vetting to understand business justification and whether, in fact, they do have potentially discriminatory
1: effects. Dave, what, what red flags should a bank board and management be looking for? Um, so I,
2: I think that, you know, one of the things that um, that often comes up is a uh, change Uh, can result in problems that go undiagnosed. So whenever a bank is venturing into something new like an acquisition of another bank or some other financial company or a new product, a new business line, um, a new way of doing business like automating previously manual credit decisions, um, I think everyone's compliance antenna should go up and uh, start looking for potential risks. Um, In recent years, as I mentioned, alternative data has become um, a major source of uh, concern over potential disparate impact. There there have been uh, concerns expressed by members of Congress, for example. Um, and various studies out there in the financial community looking at de- different kinds of alternative data sources, um, that's something that if, if banks or their partners are using alternative data in their lending decisions, uh, something that needs to be scrutinized. In addition, uh, financial institutions increasingly are using more sophisticated uh, predictive models Um, models that are used to predict credit risk. So historically, um, the FICO credit score that I mentioned has been out there for a long time, but uh, financial institutions have been developing more sophisticated so-called machine learning and artificial intelligence models that are less transparent than traditional credit scoring models and, and these kinds of models actually have a lot of potential to minimize fair lending risk because they, they take decisions out of human hands and they eliminate, for the most part, the possibility of any kind of human bias, uh, whether it's overt bias or uh, so-called implicit bias in decision-making. Um, but uh, whether the outcomes of those models really are non-discriminatory Depends critically on the inputs that go into the models and the data that go into developing the models. Um, if you have inputs that uh, have bias built into them, or you have data that reflects, for example, the results of historical discrimination, that could result in a biased system. Uh, so, those kinds of new uh, technologies require a lot of scrutiny for fair lending risk, particularly disparate impact. Uh, Some other things uh, worth mentioning, uh, particularly in the mortgage space, uh, credit overlays. Um, So many lenders are originating loans uh, based on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac guidelines and uh, HUD and uh, VA guidelines, but they may have overlays to those guidelines, their own proprietary additional credit criteria. Depending on what overlays they have, there could be fair lending risk, and so um, somebody with fair lending smarts needs to look at those as well and Then I think you know a big trend in the past several years has been banks getting into business uh, originating loans through third party platforms so called financial technology or fintech platforms uh, so typically the the platform is running the the credit operations in effect, uh, making the credit decisions and originating loans on the behalf of the bank. Typically, the bank would be funding the loans. um, And so, uh, in effect, the the bank in that situation owns the fair lending compliance risk and, and other compliance risk associated with those loans. Many of those platforms are using these sophisticated new kinds of models. They're using automated decisioning systems, they're doing uh, very sophisticated kinds of social media marketing. And so it behooves the bank partner to uh, make sure they understand what's going on with those platforms, what are the factors driving decisions, uh, and doing their own vetting, either directly or using a third party to examine those, uh, those lending processes of the third party partner for um, fair lending risk, and then, of course, monitoring that
1: over time. Dave, uh, finally, uh, what questions should a bank board or board committee be asking, and generally what oversight functions should a bank board or bank committee uh, be serving?
2: Well, I, I think that um, in fair lending compliance oversight and, and compliance oversight generally is, is really part of the broad, the broad role of a board of directors in protecting the interests of the shareholder uh, and the bank and getting assurance that the bank has effective governance processes in place to make sure that it's not taking on undue risk or taking on unknown risks. Um, fair lending and uh, other legal issues can have really serious financial impacts for a bank um, and being accused of discrimination can have a really serious reputational impact of the bank that could affect its business. So I think fair lending risks need to be viewed as similar to other kinds of business risks that have to be understood and actively managed. Um, Another important, let's say, motivation is that um, fair lending compliance is one of the ingredients that's considered in Community Reinvestment Act performance ratings. When regulators do their CRA examinations, um, they look at whether there have been any fair lending issues in the past. And if there have been serious fair lending issues, that could reduce a bank's CRA rating. Um, If a bank's CRA rating is adversely affected, depending on how serious the effect is, uh, it could actually limit the ability of the bank to expand or to make acquisitions. So it's a serious potential business risk. So I think uh, to get directly to your question, David, uh, the, the first thing is that um, banks should have an explicit fair lending policy. They should have a policy, you know, ideally adopted by the board that articulates the bank's commitment to fair lending and that specifies the roles and responsibilities of executives or departments in the bank for carrying out that fair lending commitment Um And then uh, fundamentally, I think that uh, board members should be inquiring about uh, whether the bank's executive management uh, sufficiently understands fair lending risks and really has a handle on them. So, for example, um, does the bank have compliance risk controls in place that will allow them to identify identify and, and mitigate fair lending risks? Um, and identify new risks that may come up over time. Um, Does fair lending oversight encompass all of the aspects of the consumer and small business lending uh, businesses that uh, may need to be covered? And and that includes uh, things like credit decisions, obviously, but also marketing and servicing activities for those loans. Um, And then does uh, internal audit check to make sure that the fair lending oversight processes are effective and and working as intended? Um, So really very similar to the kind of risk management that you would have for any other aspect of the business like credit risk or market risk, um, but focused specifically on fair lending compliance issues. Um, It's probably also worthwhile for the board to ask for periodic reporting on those oversight activities and any fair lending issues that have been identified. And then, you know, we all see stuff happening in the press, right? Um, So if directors happen to see issues of potential discrimination that pop up through enforcement actions or things that pop up in the news – um, it's a good idea to to ask your bank, um, is, is our bank doing something like that? And uh, how do we know uh, our bank isn't doing that? Do we have the systems in place to make sure that we're not doing that? Um, so that's just kind of a quick overview. There are a lot of uh, details behind all that, but that's just kind of a bird's eye view of what boards should be looking for, I think.
1: Well, Dave, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. This has been very informative.
2: It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks, David.